Hello and welcome to episode 136 of The Game Pit. I'm Sean and here's... Ronan? Ronan! I was waiting for you to say it. <laughs> Don't you usually say it? I do usually say it, but we're in the same room together, so I give you the... Gesticulated. I, I thought did. there was a I plane gestic- coming into land. We're near to Heathrow. <laughs> hey, everyone. You're very, very welcome to this episode of The Game Pit. We have no invaders this time around, no rude uh, awakenings in the introduction from Mr. Jude. It's just Sean and I with a pit spit, that name sticking, I like it, format... <sighs> In which we're going to be talking about and reviewing uh, 12 games that we have played recently. And I've played 11 of them, which is a better record than we've had recently. You've played I've played nine? nine. At least six, because you're doing six. You do, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe not. <laughs> can I say it's really good that you've climbed out of that well? <laughs> I'm really sorry. Was that a good well impression? <laughs> not as good as the one you did last time. <laughs> That mic is the mic in the same setup I use to do all my pit stops. And it sounds fine for the pit stops. Did a jowl just fall over <laughs> or something? <laughs> something went wrong. I was echoing around my head. What was I going to say? Oh, yeah. As well as the 12 reviews, we're also, at the end, going to talk about three Kickstarter campaigns that have caught our eye briefly. Yep. To possibly point you in the right or wrong direction. Very good. Shall we just kick off straight into our first Wait, remember, discussion point what do we always say snappy 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 yep. this not gonna happen snappy <laughs> snappy Sean let's kick straight into this and the first game we're going to discuss was hot a few months ago which is a bit of a theme of my games <laughs> I'm sort of catching up a little bit <laughs> And this is Res Arcana. It's about 45 minutes, two to four player card game, designed by Tom Lehman, very famous Race for the Galaxy, etc. And I think it was the first game from Sandcastle Games. In Res Arcana, each player is a magic user. You're each going to get a deck of only eight cards, and you're all racing to score 10 points. And the first person to score 10 points, or when someone gets 10 points to score the most in that round, is going to be the winner. The game is based around five different resources and the cards that you play are going to cost those resources, produce those resources or convert them into something. You've got gold, which is the hardest one to get as opposed to the uh, Elan and the Peace and the Life and the... De- I don't know what they're called. <laughs> they've got colours. <laughs> Gold's harder. If you collect enough gold, you can buy monuments, which is one of the ways you're going to score VP. There's a, a lineup of them, a market of like just two, and every monument you buy is going to score you a certain number of points and may have an effect in the game. Certain cards will score you a point or two each, and also then there's places of power. That's the main way to score your points. Places of power, there'll be five of them. They're double-sided. There's five tiles. You can mix and match them. Places of power will give you VP, some of them. They'll all give you some sort of a power, some sort of conversion of particular types of these resources, but also a lot of them will give you a VP engine, scoring one VP for every death that's placed on there and give you a way of doing that. So that's going to be a, a lot of your points going to come from there. The way you actually play is you just draw one card each round and you choose an item. There's a lineup of items. You can never take the same one twice in a row. Those items are going to let you change the rules a little bit or take an extra card or reuse one or get an extra resource this turn. You know, general things to give you a bit of a kickstart to your engine this turn. By doing this, by drawing your card, by playing them, by taking the actions on the cards, you're going to create and run a little engine racing to get to those 10 points. And Sean... Mm-hmm. On the outside, that does not sound enough for 
at least what I perceive to be the impact of this game that everyone was talking about it there for a few weeks. Why do you always lead in with the the deepest of questions? Well, that's what I like. Lead in with a nice one. What does it look like, Sean? Is it pretty, Sean? Yes, it is pretty. (laughs) Oh, that's good. All right, that was my last point. (laughs) Okay, let's go back to my first point. First point: Is it deep enough? Is there enough there? Well, that doesn't. No, the point is, it doesn't sound enough. Like if you say to someone, "It's an eight-card deck you're getting," they'll be like, "Uh, "What am I going to do with that?" I think it certainly is enough to hold your interest. There's certainly enough there that you're working with because you've got those or your little bonus each each turn. So that's giving you a second choice. You're also looking at how you're going to manipulate what you do have and what you're going to what you're going to aim for. What in terms of the monuments, what you're going to go for. So there are things to think about. There are way, are ways you can sort of tweak things to to get towards what you need. My issue, Ronan, not an issue because I. Don't. No, you've said issue. No. Okay. There's no My slight back. issue. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I got issues. I got tissues. Oh well, that's that's <laughs> they're going to be that's, needed. That's between you and the four walls. Tom Lehman. Um, is that I felt it was a little bit front loaded, in that the character you're given kind of tells you what direction you're going in, the cards that follow pretty much carry on that vein and I've not I didn't think I was on rails as such but I definitely felt I was given a nudge in a firm direction I think it sets the limits of your decision space and and I one of the next thing was how much is decided by your deck and the order in which that deck comes out because kind of the most hand management decision you're making is whether I play this card is it suitable to play it out or do I throw it away to get one gold or two resources which early on is actually quite important. You could prioritise, but if in your deck you don't generate any death, you're not going to go for the death place of power that's because you want to have death on there. It's just not a viable option. So you're, you are definitely put down a particular path by the cards which you are given. And the concern for that for me would be longevity. Definitely, yeah. And having mentioned the places of power, to me... That is the biggest limit on longevity is because there's only 10 of them. You're going to see five every game. Mm-hmm. You can just flip the tiles over. That's what you're aiming for. That That is my engine is running towards getting those one or two places of power. Yeah. And that's how I'm going to suddenly accumulate a lot of points, which limits the number of different things you can do. In games like this that kind of do a similar, have a similar feeling, but are a little, maybe a little bit cleverer in sort of you learn the decks, you learn how now, to now manipulate I'm, I'm those. Gonna, Protest against the word cleverer. Okay, maybe not. Because what they've done with eight cards... He's very good, yeah, he's very clever. clever. Right, okay. So the word... More open. Yeah. Expansive. Because yeah, so, sometimes they, you might just have a small deck of cards, but what you can do with those deck of cards is more open, as you said, and you can sort of go off in different directions. I think this one is, you, you are honed into one or two things. Another thing I noticed, for instance, we played a game where we had things that interacted with dragons... Yeah, and the dragon thing didn't come out. No dragons. No dragons. <laughs> so I and I drew a card, and I'm just sitting there. And you're drawing one card a turn. Yeah. If you draw that dragon thing and there's no dragons, that's well, that's that's a massive sort of backward step. You, the, the other person, if they haven't, well, it happened that you did. But if you hadn't, you'd have been one step ahead of me. Oh, mate, uh, what are you up to? I've got my dragon saddle. I've yeah. got my dragon bridle. Well. Uh, all out of dragons, son. Oh, well, really? All out of dragons. But I bought all my dragon stuff. Well, you'll have to stick it on a, on a chimera, maybe? Well, I, I thought you were going much more basic than that. Like, <laughs> llama or something. Llama. Yeah. 
Lama, you look magnificent. I look silly. Okay. <laughs> two two more things to throw in your direction. Yes, go. Player go. interaction. And do you need more than two players for it? Player interaction is minimal. You've only got really... I think you're watching whatever the other person is You're sharp and take a breath. <laughs> That's what the subtitle says. Uh, you're watching what the other people are doing. You can attack each other if you get a dragon. If you get a dragon, well, I didn't, yeah. Well, I didn't see that. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen them. There's obviously <laughs> going to be that initial draft of the little, little powers that you get that's going to be something that you can deny people. Racing for particular places of power now, it only happens sometimes if you've both got a fairly similar engine and you're producing fairly similar resources, mm. you might be going for the same place of power. That could be interesting. That could be interesting. It could be frustrating because you're both forced to do similar things. But once someone's got one of these places of power, it's generally going to accelerate. Yeah. It's, it's all in a very... Some of these things are forgivable because it's such a quick game. Yeah, it, that is one of its absolute benefits is... Is it is quick and it does play quickly and it certainly we say it all the time. I say it all the time. It certainly doesn't outstay that welcome. Great. So, Has it got theatre? The colours vibrant. What are the uh, got, I wouldn't say it's got theatre. Bog standard. No, it's I'm just trying standard. to pull out all of your words. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You've been getting a few of your own lately. Don't think, <laughs> no, never. It can't happen. Um, yeah, try to watch exactly what you say while your podcast is quite difficult. <laughs> Last thing, I'll lead you home to your happy place Yay. production and graphic design all really clear everything's super clear the art's lovely and the the tray that just comes straight out of the box you plonk it down there you I go are you going to say the tray oh, the tray man I've never seen a man love a tray oh I love a tray you do we've got, tray. Another, we've got another game coming up that's got a lovely tray <laughs> I do like a tray weirdo <laughs> that for, for me also brings into it ease of learning smoothness of setup smoothness of teaching smoothness of play it's all done very very well the cards don't have exceptions there's a few that are a little bit tricky to work out they work like that top top man or whoever he is who builds up the resources and then you take them at some point yes but in general they all say what they do and it all makes sense the iconography there's quite a lot of yeah. icons but you can follow it yeah I think I asked you when you taught me a couple of questions in the first round or so and then it was plain sailing. Yeah. Rolling. So it's it's quality production it, all the way through from opening the box to play mm. into to graphic design. So you came out with more negatives than I expected there. What's your I think I, I'm not it's not a negative at all. I actually did enjoy my plays of Res Arcana. The thing is, I forgot all about it. When it came to reviewing it, I had to go back read the rules again oh yeah i remember yeah and that for me told the story of this game it was just forgettable it doesn't do anything massively new i would certainly play it anytime because i did enjoy it but i don't want to own it i don't particularly i'm going to seek it out and it doesn't stay in my mind the question for me and whether you're going to like listener res arcana is do enjoy an engine building card game is it one of your favorite genres to play if so then it gives you the components for your engine exactly so it says these are the bits you have you don't have a choice in what sort of engine you're building how you construct them is slightly down to yourself and definitely which fuel you add to that engine in terms of the extra cards being taken what place of power you go for you have slightly more choice on that but you are being forced down a particular blueprint by what cards you're given I've enjoyed it quite a lot, actually. I think it's a very enjoyable game. 
My problem now is, and this is only eight plays in, is that I already need more options for it. I need more ways of winning. I need more places of power. Now, there is an expansion coming, supposedly before the end of the year. If that gives you enough different ways to play, then I will be keeping Reza Arcana. If it's just a couple more places of power and a little bit more the same, then I can see it slipping away and not sticking around. But at the moment, on the first plays, really enjoyable quality product. Very good. Okay, so... My game is part of the new hotness, Roland. Look at say. you. Check Look you at me. Out. You got together with your <laughs> internet buddies, your internet titan buddies, and you're playing all the new hotness. <laughs> so my game is Sierra West, designed by Johnny Pack Cantin, and coming from Board and Dice, playing one to four players. Players are expedition leaders, uh, guiding pioneers in the Wild West over the Sierra Nevada mountains, and they're looking to seek wealth and opportunity, Ronan. The game comes with four modules that all That's play... That's our nickname. A lot of people call us Wealth and Opportunity. Wealth, wealth and Opportunity. <laughs> wealth and Opportunity. <laughs> I think more likely to call us the Mountains. <laughs> Left and right. <laughs> and the game comes with four modules, and they all play slightly differently. You've got Apple Hill, Boats and Banjos, Gold Rush and Outlaws and Outposts. The base play in each game is that each player is going to have a board and a module-specific deck of cards... There is a communal card display placed in the middle to look like a mountain and some score tracks. At the bottom of the mountain is a track for a wagon. So on your player board, you, there are two action spaces for the pioneers. There are four empty cabin spaces and cabins are going to offer you the opportunity to get a bonus later on. There's also a space to place three overlapped cards down onto the board. And this is the crux of the game. You're choosing those three cards, you're overlapping them and you're placing them into the board, which hides some of the symbols. And you're trying to do so in in whatever way you want to go for that round, what you want to collect, etc. At the beginning of the turn, you choose whether to place a pioneer onto a cabin. Now that activates its power. And then you run the pioneers down the path doing what the icon you land on does. So icons are resources. You've got boots that allow you to move up the mountain in order to claim cards. And boots will also allow you to move that wagon along the track. And that's for multiplying your points scored on the tracks. Shovels are allow you to claim the mountain cards or build cabins. And resources are allow you to take that item that the resource shows and lastly, you have, uh, and that allows you to get resources from animals. I haven't talked about the animals. You have the opportunity to, to trap animals on other people's goats. And there are five on offer in each game. Lastly, hazards hinder your advance along the track. Once you get to the end of the path, you spend your resources that you've gathered to complete objectives, which often move you up and down on the score tracks. And at the end of the game, you score based on where you are on those score tracks, times where you are on the wagon track, the mounting cards you have taken or score for you and gold and boots, but you have minus points if you haven't covered any of those cabin spaces or if you fail to trap any of those animals. So, Ronan, that is Sierra West. I've given just the base game. There are four modules. We've played two of the four quite extensively. So we'll talk to tell you what the two are first. We've played Apple Hill, which is widely seen as the starting module. 
it's fairly simple. It just adds an apple track and you collect apples with your cart as well. Yeah, it doesn't change the scoring. It's just two yeah. more tracks that get multiplied by your wagon. Exactly, so yeah. you're trying to do exactly the same as you're doing in the base scoring for every module. Yes, yeah. we have played Boats and Banjos, which adds a fishing element into the game. And what you can do is you can go out, you can do some fishing, you can exchange those fish for gold, which also gives you points as well. And there's a slightly different hazard in in there's a banjo and no oh, there's a banjo but you have to play be playing a banjo to get past to get the past banjo. It or something like that the it's banjo like, thing yeah. that I lost I, yeah, yeah, yeah we definitely banjos yeah we just hit the banjos we didn't understand them. <laughs> <laughs> if one dude has to stand on a banjo and it's free to get past and the other one has to yeah to go to go past so in general. How do you feel the mechanics uh, went for you? And then should we look at the individuals? Sure. Why not? Sure. Okay. <laughs> There's nothing quite like Sierra West. It's not a massive revelation, mm-hmm. but there's enough in that seeing your three cards and forging your own path. The fact that there's that bit of interaction, you can take turns on another player's turn. The fact that you're not quite sure what cards are going to be available and there's an actual movement to get to cards. You have to do something in order to build your deck and then they have to come, you know, you can use them straight away, but you're not quite sure if you do want to build your deck because it depends on how much you want to interact with the module because the mountain is different. It's completely different for every single module. Mm-hmm. And in the basic one, you definitely want to go up the mountain and grab cards and score points anyway. And yeah. some of the other ones, you might only want specific cards. And so it's a different puzzle. Each turn is a different puzzle. The whole game is a different puzzle. And it, I've never played anything that felt exactly like it. No, it is, it's a weird one. I think when I'm arranging my cards... I'm, I'm just I'm happy because you're you're planning that move. Now, I, I don't like usually planning ahead because normally those games are things where the random stuff can happen to you. But this one, I've got an element of control. I know if I plan my cards in a certain way, I'm going to do a certain thing. I think you've got quite a lot of control in this game. Yeah. Really, the only random is what cards are going to flip up. Yeah. And you and see that beforehand yeah. before you go and claim them. So, that, yeah, you definitely have got a lot of control over what you're doing every single time. Exactly. And... I enjoy the, the little mini puzzles within the greater puzzle, if you know what I mean. We were playing with Dan in Nottingham the other day, and he just said, I don't think I'm going to win this game. In fact, I know I'm not. He didn't. He was last. Yeah. And he, said, <laughs> yeah. he just sat there and he said, you know what? I'm just enjoying the process. Yeah. I'm enjoying my own personal little puzzle here. What's going to be the best setup for me? Where I'm going to go with it? How I'm going to spend those boots? What I'm going to use that shovel for? We didn't talk about the the mule. It gives you little bonuses and allows you to turn gold into other resources. So that's another little puzzle. You can use gold more effectively in the game. So lots of things going on. It's all very understandable. Individually, it's all very small things we're talking about. It is. It's that each turn is self-contained and gives you so many options within that that you do feel like you're playing a tiny little three-minute Euro every time you're planning out that track and timing which people to go when and what resources we'll have at the end of that move and which resources do I need for these top of the cards, for these summit things to get up the tracks. And it's very satisfying. Moving onwards, though, that's when you first play it. What you need then is that the game has to change a bit, which is where the modules comes into it. Because if it was just the base Apple Hill thing, the problem for me there would be the scoring. Because the basic scoring, you have to push your wagon along. 
Yeah. Because yeah. the wagon goes like, you're going to move up these tracks. You're going to move 10, 12, 14 spaces, something like that. Maybe. Eight. Yeah. yeah. And then the wagon multiplies though, that number of moves you've made. So it starts with times one, times one, times one. And then it goes times two, times three, times four. And you have to be on the times four space. You're not going to win. Yes. So you're all doing the same thing and scoring very similarly. And that's where the modules have to kick in because they, they mix up the scoring. Now, I, one of my concerns for the game is that that is not going to change significantly. I don't think it changed enough in the fish game. But then again, I think we probably have to play the fish one, which is not fish, it's boats and banjos. Yeah, so with the fish, what that did is, there's another thing that you can pan for gold in the boats and banjos, but that has to go from where your wagon is, where you take resources that have been set out and they run out. What I liked about it is that you could sell your boat out on the river as long as the river had been exposed. Mm-hmm. And your wagon could be sitting at the, at the back and you could still go out and get loads of fish and really rinse the market. Now, yeah. what we didn't see was anyone try and do that a lot. True. That's, that's I kind of go, yeah. don't worry about the track that much. I'm absolutely going to hammer this fishing and see if I can get ridiculous amounts of gold. Yeah. Because the scoring is not massive amounts. And actually, you can handle this fishing for quite a lot of gold. So if yeah. you go fishing twice and score 15 points each time, yeah, you're up yeah, there. Yeah, you're right up there. Now, Roland, my other slight concern about this one, there is a little bit of interaction, as you've said, like you can knock people down off the mountain by taking the card from under them. Maybe on the fish one, you can rinse out a certain colour of fish uh, so they can't get the sets, etc. There, there really isn't that much interaction in the game. You're playing your own little game each turn. Is there enough in that? for people who who like interaction in games well yeah I mean that's a personal tasting I think you're not sitting there it's no five tribes you're not sitting there not doing anything well no, yeah, no, yeah you're thinking you're working out your cards you're looking at what's happening you're seeing what cards they're taking and going oh right they've taken three of them I don't want me going after them now while working out your own puzzle so it certainly is not downtimey and for me if there's no interaction in a game then it's the downtime that kills me. I'm sitting there doing nothing, and I never felt felt that in Sierra West. Yeah. I always felt like I had something to do, and I was considering something, and I was interested in what was going on. The turns are also very quick. I think they are, once you know the game. I found that in the game with uh, Luke, Dan, and Matthew... You just name drop a bit more. I know, I know. But, yeah, in, yeah, yeah, that, but that game presented different things to me. They, it was a bit slow because they were getting used to the mechanics and they were getting used to sort of building the, those cards and what what they didn't really know what they were going for, especially at the beginning. By the end, they were flying. And also, <laughs> I've never seen in any of the games I've played, and I've played this quite a few times now, such a give and take of the mule the, the mule is quite handy because it allows you to get the third bonus at the end the of the summit tracks action, and yeah. the summit actions and the, that mule was was a target two two people had target and they were back and forth back and forth and then me and dad had nick it for a little bit and it was a real sort of back and forth with the mule and I hadn't seen that before and that was another aspect I quite enjoyed yeah I think when you and me played a couple of times I was just playing really badly <laughs> <laughs> because usually I'm hammering that mule, but I, I was actually, it's a funny, I, I, I'm sure I mentioned it before, but quite often when we start playing a game together, I might have played it three or four times and I'm like, right, I'm going to review this one, let's play it. And then I'm immediately off trying something random and weird and you often then beat me by a lot. And I'm going to claim that's because I'm often trying to stretch the game. So on your one, I wasn't doing the mule. I was trying to do something different and it completely didn't work. But but usually I am after that mule. I'm hammering it. Okay, I'm going to give you a slight concern back. Go on then. It's the cabins. 
Mm-hmm. The Cabbers just feel like a complete nothing. If, if they weren't in the game, the game would be better. There, there's a market for them. You spend your shovels to, to get them. Yeah. Allegedly, you can put a worker or two in there in order to... Tri- well, one worker is trigger special actions for the other worker or to make things cheaper, which I've seen done a couple of times in all the games I've played of Sierra West. And the bonuses are not great. And you're almost exclusively better off using that worker because it can either go in the cabinet and start your turn or on someone else's turn. It's gone and got an extra resource or it's gone and trapped a type of animal, which makes the animal available to your fur trade action, which gets you more resources. Yeah. And if you don't trap the animals, it's minus four points. They're more valuable doing that. And if you don't build your four cabins, it's minus four points for each cabin you don't build. And it's just an annoyance. And it's the only frustrating thing I find in the game. And it's three points. You've been too harsh on yourself. I think I've probably taken too many points off myself. Or maybe it's the animals that are minus three. Anyways, minus points. I've seen it done once. And I've seen it done once well. And that's only because some of the cabins are better than the others. They definitely are. Yeah, so uh, the one that Matthew took was the one that allows you minus one resource to get the, the spades and to get past the bear. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. yeah. that the, the best one. Yeah. And that's Definitely. the best one, obviously, and every time... And it's he, a brown cabin, isn't it? And yeah, it rarely comes out. That's right. And he, he absolutely rinsed yeah, it. if someone gets that, it's a bit... Yeah. And they're not likely to come through again because only one in four cabins is brown Somewhere, and only a certain yeah, yeah. number of them is that. So... Yeah, he, he absolutely rinsed it. Yeah. He made sure he saved a dude for that because it was worth two resources to him every, yeah, every round. Yeah, one cabin out of that whole stack yeah, is so, useful. And it, and was it's worth, it was a free cabin, Yeah, effectively. So he was able to fill those cabins up. Other than that, it felt like the minus points on the cabins were crowbarred in to yeah. make you use them because otherwise you'd just be like, meh. Don't want them. Yeah. yeah. It was something, to me, maybe they were thinking of a second use for the spades. Maybe. Because if you had spades and you can't, you don't want a card, what else are you going to do with them? Yeah. And I wish that they'd come up with a better idea because that is the one thing that, that sticks in my craw. I wouldn't Do you go. Like that? Yeah, that would be a prospector <laughs> saying. Did you like it? I I wouldn't go as far as that, but yeah, I could see it wasn't the most entertaining aspect of the game for right. sure. So coming off a negative note, shall I go into my summary? Go for it. I'm really impressed with Sierra West. I talked about it last Essen because we got to have a look at a preview with actually with the boats and banjos. That's what we played. Uh, and it was pretty much all there there was, there was a couple of things different but it was pretty much all there and I liked it but playing it in that hall with all the noise and trying to rush through and learn is not it's always to difficult to sort of gauge yeah. but I did say I really enjoyed that play and I was hopeful for it and it's turned up and it has met and exceeded my expectations for it it's a medium euro that feels fresh it doesn't feel like we're rehashing old ground and that is a very rare beast for me nowadays and for that alone Plus the fact that I'm always thinking and enjoying and puzzling and everything's new every time, every round is a different thing to do. I'm really enjoying Sierra West and I've still got those two other modules and each module is worth multiple games to explore. So I find a lot of replayability there. So big thumbs up from me. Cool. Right, so for me, I think it's got a fantastic table presence. I want to give a real nod to the, the cover art. It was the thing that drew me into the game. I just loved that picture of the little kid and maybe his grandfather going off into the mountain, the two dudes prospecting. It tells me the story. Yeah? yeah. I'm mouth opening. I'm there. <laughs> you, I'm you're the worst. You what that, what that? Your attention to artwork disgusts me. <laughs> in general, not just in, general. in games. I think the game has 
always tough choices. It's one of those that you always want to do more than you can, but in a good way. Yeah, the interaction isn't great, but as Rona said when he was talking about it, that can be offset by the time it takes you to plan your next move. So you might not be interacting, but there is no downtime. You have different routes to take, lots happening on a turn and lots of options. It's a really enjoyable puzzle or puzzles and i'm really looking forward to playing the gold rush which is all about getting gold into minecarts and outlaws and outposts which is about capturing outlaws and sierra west is a absolute hit for both of us tis tis next one up is foothills this is quite new and fresh it might be my only one but here we go yeah, sure is. Yeah. Two players, 45 minutes, Ben Bateson and Tony Boydell from Lookout Games. It's a two-player game from the Snowdonia lineage in which there are eight lines in the box. You're going to put six of these lines out as rows of cards. Each player is going to get five action cards. On your turn, you're going to choose an action card. You're going to do whatever it says on it, and you're going to flip it over. And on the other side will be a worse version of one of the other four actions. And when you do that worse action, you get to flip it back to its good version of a different action again. So A goes to C, back to A, or B goes to E, back to B, or whatever it may be. What you're going to do in those actions, you're going to be taking resources from a stockyard sound familiar from snowdonia when that runs out it gets refilled with cubes when white cubes come out events happen which basically means the game starts building the railways again similar to snowdonia with these resources you can convert them turn them into laying track uh, if you've cleared some rubble if you've cleared rubble then you can turn it into stone which is going to help you build stations these are all things other actions you can do because you can dig out rubble to clear the lines to be able to lay the tracks to build the stations etc actually not to build the stations you can build the stations anyway can't you yeah that's yeah, right I know yeah, good yeah. yeah you can build these stations I'm talking about and when you build them and when you lay the track and when you dig the rubble you're going to score a handful of points as you do each of those or get other bonuses like passengers which are a resource you might use to do things or access to to different things when you build a station though what it does do is open up a worker placement spot because everyone has got one surveyor and the last and fifth action is to be able to move your surveyor and it can go to an action spot that's been unlocked at the beginning you can only go to basic ones that give you a ticket for each line each player can claim one ticket for each line that's one of the ways in which you can score points also they can go back to the pub now when the surveyor goes to the pub, it's going to allow you to upgrade your cards or at least change your cards. You take one of your cards out of action and replace it from a market. There are two A's, two B's, two C's, two D's and two E's or two of each letter if you want to say it that way. I don't want to. <laughs> okay. And you replace like for like until they run out and then you can start actually running down the number of action cards you have if you wish to do that to yourself. The reason you want to do that is because when cards go into your scoring pile, they're going to be multipliers for things you've done such as stations you've built or the five tickets up to five that you've collected or whatever it may be, number of passengers you've got. There's various different things. The game is going to end when... The game can no longer activate anymore or everything's been done basically in the game. Everything's been laid and every station's been built and, and there's nothing else left to do. And you're going to get points possibly for having the most stations on a line. There's a summit tile you can steal sometimes for an action for points. But mostly you're going to multiply certain things you've done in the game by the number of scoring cards you've got in your scoring pile. And that will form the main basis of your score, Sean, in Foothills. Yeah. Very first question. I'm going to start with a softball now. Why does this game exist? <laughs> you literally got to the end of my review. <laughs> <laughs> we um, can finish can I, there. Can I just say one thing before we start? Ronan, 
We promised everyone we'd be snappy. All right. Snappy. Snappy. And we've got excited about Sierra West. We, and we did. ended up not being very snappy. <laughs> Those were two games that we wanted to say a lot about. I'm sure these will be. <laughs> so, to be snappy, I'm not going to tell you why, why, why should it exist, because that's going to take my literal review. Well, all right. Just stop me in my tracks. In my tracks, do you get it? <laughs> Ronan, it looks, feels, and smells great. <laughs> it did smell great. An amazing new game smell. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I when you laid it on the table, I was like, oh, that's a, an attractive looking game. And particularly like the little old style tickets. Yeah, you like that, did you? I did. That's I did. good. And uh, get on with it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Issues with the game that I found. The flip card mechanism. Is it clever enough? Am I not just wasting an action to get to the good stuff? Yes. Okay, thank you for that, Ronan. And you can get yourself into an action hole. Oh, that was my next point, yes. Go for it. Yeah, yeah, well, you can, as I said, you take those cards, those uh, scoring cards and into your... You take the scoring pile and you replace one of your cards that you already have. If you take the wrong one, as we found, you could actually block yourself from being able to go to the pub and get more of those. Yes. Or, and other things. You could um, like, get in rubble, get in stone. The game yeah. runs out of stuff. Yeah. So one of your cards is get take rubble off the board. Hmm. You want the other side of it, but I can't flip it because I can't take. There's no rubble left. I can't do it. Yeah. Irritating. There, there are there are holes you can get into. Maybe bad play, but still, they shouldn't be that easy. But you know, it's too easy. It's yeah. not like I've played terribly. When I've taught this after the first game, we got in a hole. Every subsequent player, I've had to say to people at some point, I've had to say it to you in your first game, Sean, watch. That yeah. card you've just swapped, you've now just killed your engine. You, you, when you do the next two actions, you then can take no more actions. Yeah. And Yeah, it's obviously it takes you back to mm. because that's not fun for anyone. You get scripted into your actions via punishment in that you know I have to do them my A, then my C, then my B, then my D, and then I have to flip them all back again. And the mm. flipping all back is just dull yep. because it's not interesting it's just literally worse versions of the action and that's not f- who thought that was a good idea in a game half your game is going to be spent yeah. frustrated doing rubbish actions I can't personally see a good way of chaining good and bad together because a bad is just a bad action it's, it's not something the only thing is taking those cards that you flip another card yeah. over yeah. but they tend to have terrible actions on them Yeah. so you're taking a bad action to avoid taking another bad action in the future yeah it's not much shorter, it's duller, and it's more limited than Snowdonia. Well, I mean, that, I was, I'll sum up if you want. There's nothing else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so although it, it evokes a feeling of Snowdonia, why would I not just play Snowdonia? It takes up a similar amount of table space. It doesn't play particularly shorter than Snowdonia. Yeah, the box size is smaller, so it's more portable, but Snowdonia is, is a much superior game plays in a similar time frame so why would I not be playing it I still don't think I hated it as much as you Ronan (laughs) thanks for spoiling my review (laughs) I was looking forward to it and it was a crushing disappointment it's tight it's mean but in the wrong way it feels 
overworked. It feels over-designed. Like they've tried to make it as tight and as tight to their vision as possible, leaving no room for the player to find their own play space and enjoy themselves. It's fragile, which is inexcusable. The going to the pub and getting those cards in the scoring part is the only thing that matters. Because if you get a multiplayer going with something you've got a lot of, that is going to win you the game. You are likely to hear about Foothills again whenever we record our review of 2019. And it's not going to be difficult to imagine in what section it's going to be found. Just bad, really bad Foothills. Okay, so... Let's move on to one that I had high hopes for, Ronan. It is Imperial Settlers. I had to stifle myself there from saying more for you, so I've never said it. (laughs) Imperial Settlers, Empires of the North. At least mine was based on Snowdonia. We could have high hopes for that. (laughs) Designed by uh, Joanna Kijanka and Ignacy Chejicek. Set in the Imperial Settlers universe. This sees players taking on the roles of leaders of different factions based in the far north. You have Scotsmen, you have Inuits, and you have Vikings. Players will use one of six pre-constructed decks of cards to build their empires. Gameplay is going to see players taking as many turns as you want, or can, in order to lay cards out on your tableau and go on raids. On a turn, you have a choice of a number of actions. You can play a card by just paying the resources... Cards can be fields to gain resources from buildings that give bonuses or instant one-off boons. You can use a building from your tableau. You can raid another player's building, which basically wonks their card so that they can't use it for that round. Or you can carry out a clan action. Now, clan actions are done by placing a pawn on a circular track... And these have various actions on them as well. So you can harvest the field, you construct a building for free, you can add a worker, and you can set sail. Some cards can directly trigger off these spaces and, and can be played if you use a specific action. When you go sailing, you place your boats in the expedition queue, and in the next phase, you get to choose between raiding an island for instant rewards, or you can conquer that island for ongoing rewards. You're going to carry on until somebody hits 25 points and then add up all your other points that are given for cards in your empire, every two resources and every gold. And as I said, I really wanted to like it in the same way I originally wanted to like Imperial Settlers. And as I said, more for... No, no. I've got that. So, I enjoyed my first play of Empires of the North. And I played as the Viking faction, and I was like, oh, I wonder how these work. Okay, they generate loads of weapons, and they can turn those weapons into obviously going out and, and conquering islands, and you get bonuses for conquering islands, and then you can actually hand them in at Altars of Thor for points, and that's my idea. I'm generating weapons, and I'm going to use them, and I might raid the other players if it's worth it to me, but generally it's not, because they're just earning me points. Why would I throw them away? Great. And I finished that game and I said, I've had a pleasant time doing that. I never have to do that again. <laughs> I never have to play as the Vikings again. No. Because the next time I play as the Vikings, I will collect loads of axes and I'll use them to conquer islands and I'll get bonuses for conquering islands. and I'll, use I'll just do the same thing because that deck has one way to play. Yeah. The deck and the decks, I've now played five of the six. The decks play you. Now, you said that to me. I didn't go that far. 
I don't think they pay you. I think there's only one way to play them, which may be a fine distinction, <laughs> but I think it was worth making there. I have seen the Vikings played in four games. The Vikings have won every single game, which we'll get onto balance of the cards. Every single person has done the exact same thing in that you hold your scoring cards for islands at the end and then you play that right at the end because you that's when you have the most islands and that's when you will score the most points and probably win the game for me. <laughs> I did it on my first ever go of the game. Natalie did it. Matthew did it. You did it. Yeah. It's, it's a no-brainer. So if that's not the cards playing you, then you have to be really, really... Don't say it. Silly. 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 <laughs> okay. If you miss that. One thing that puzzled me was that when the first sort of chat about it came out, Empires of the North, people said, oh, it does. It looks like Imperial Settlers, but it doesn't feel like Imperial Settlers. Nonsense. It certainly felt like Imperial Settlers. Oh, to my me. God. It, it really Letting did. goods on cards, spending yeah. them to trigger other cards. My own race is a particular way to play. The big change, the only change that I can really see that makes any sense, is that you alternate moves. And the action wheel in the middle, no? Yeah, the action wheel in the middle, but that's just another way oh, of getting an action. action. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, you might yeah, as well yeah. have a card in the middle. You're right. But the alternating, and it does give you some idea of what each other are doing. In a four-player game, you still end up with a massive tableau full of cards. We're talking, what, 12, 13, 14 oh, cards? Oh, way more than that. Yeah, like yeah more. Loads, yeah. You cannot still even Well, your bankers had like... A billion cards you're flicking and twisting and putting this on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And to be honest, it's boring as the other player trying to work out what your opposition are doing. Once they get to a certain yeah. number of cards, you're just like, I don't, I don't know. I don't what, care yeah. anymore. Once you get towards the end of your deck, things are coming out that are just not worth playing anymore. Yeah. And you are running the same engine maybe three, four turns in a row. It just felt exactly like Imperial Settlers, and all the problems I had with Imperial Settlers just came to surfaced again. We don't like Imperial Settlers. No. We don't like Empires of the North, clearly, too much. I mean, look, yeah. I quite enjoyed playing it. I did enjoy playing it. It just has zero longevity. That's my issue with it, really. If I play, enjoy playing it more than I enjoy playing it with Imperial Settlers. So it's a bit different. Just one last comment before we, we sum up, Ronan. Player okay. count. I've played this two players, which is okay uh, as a length of game. I've played this three players, which was almost insufferable, and I would never play it four players. The length that, that each player adds to the game, because they're just sitting there running their engine, sometimes for like four or five minutes a turn. And if you've got four players, you're waiting 15 minutes before everyone else runs their engine while you're sitting there. Like, no, mate. No, I'm not. <laughs> so, like, you're not, obviously, you're not doing it all in one go, but over the course of the round, you're waiting 15 minutes just sitting there watching them. I'm surprised you haven't mentioned the player markers. Colour. Oh, like gosh, yeah, that was, that was a miss there. But that, it is otherwise a really well-produced game. This was the other one with the tray, Ronan. Oh, right. But do you want to tell them what the player marker thing is? Okay, so you can cho- you choose your own colour. And they're, they're the basic colours, blue, red, green and yellow. And then the colours that you score with are different. There's two blues. There's two kind of uh, greeny ones. They bear no correlation <laughs> to, to what you're playing. So the player with the blue, one of the blue factions, might have might really want to play the yellow because somebody else has taken the blue. Yeah. And oh, it gets really confusing. It just struck me as a bit odd, that's all. Yeah, just a bit odd. 
other than that, the way they've put the box together, you literally just pick it out and play straight from the box. Really quick to set up. Beautiful artwork. Looks really bright and cheerful. And yeah, great. But that was a real weird misstep to take. But Ronan, do you want to sum up for us on Empires of the North? Have you ever walked through a park with someone <laughs> and you looked at the sky and you go, wow. That cloud formation looks a bit like a dragon. That's cool. Yeah, maybe, yeah. And then yeah. a minute later, it doesn't look like a dragon anymore. <laughs> the Empires of the North ask you to stand around in that park for an hour and a half at a time in case it starts to look like a dragon again. <laughs> but it was fun to see that dragon the first time. But really, an hour and a half waiting for it the second time around is going to really lessen the impact of that fun moment. So I'm glad I had my ephemeral fun with it and I never have to play it again. And it's just, the whole system is just not for me. Yeah, I was, I was bought in, Ronan. People were saying, oh, no, it's different. This is for people. I nearly bought it, so I'm so yeah, yeah. <laughs> People were saying, oh, this is the game that Imperial Settler should have been, and it really wasn't. It was too long. I felt like I was on rails with the the different factions. I do think that the, the some of them were imbalanced. That I think the Vikings certainly played easier and more effective than the others. And... I just absolute no for me. It's on the trade pile. That is two games that have taken a kick in there. That is. Shall we see how the third one <laughs> goes? This is Counterfeiters, a thirty-five minute game. Now that is some specific game length direction from a from a manufacturer. Surely. Nicely done. If thirty-six minutes ain't gonna have it around here, it's for two to four players. It's designed by Olivier Bourgeois and it's Quined Games. And you are a Miami-based. Anthropomorphized, it's become the uh, word of the podcast after the last time. There you go. Anthropomorphized animal <laughs> who is a counterfeiter of banknotes. The game itself mechanically is a worker placement game. You've got three workers you're going to place each round. And in placing those workers, what you're going to do is print some fake money. You're then going to try and launder it via a couple of different routes. Then you're going to try and bank it in the Caribbean. In order to lord the money, you're going to be purchasing equipment from a market, some of which will help you improve the quality of your counterfeit notes because they come in quality of level 1, 2, and 3. And during the course of the game, you're not going to be able to launder level 1 ones anymore. And then level 2 ones, you're going to have to have your proper equipment set up. Some of them will give you more printing machines, so you print more every time you go for a print. You can have a diner where you can launder some private money at the end of each round or a private jet that when you have to go to the Caribbean, you don't have to pay any money. There's various bits that you can get in that market, but not too many. When people take actions that have a police marker on them, and some of them do on the board, it pushes down the timer off the game. Now, along the time track, there are spaces where the Godfather is going to come and visit. When the Godfather visits, he's going to look at your stack of actual money. So you you print fake money, you launder it into actual money, and however much actual money you've got in front of you, the Godfather's going to take half of that. Of course, we're talking about going to the Caribbean. The reason for that is that when you fly there, you can bank as much money, real money as you want, in your bank account, and that is untouchable. No one's going to get that. Obviously, you're going to be looking to do that. Then the cane comes via that track, and then the Godfather will visit you one last time, and whoever's got the most money after that is going to have won the game of counterfeiters. Counterfeiters, Sean, there's something that has to be mentioned, and everyone mentioned it the first time I talk about the game, is that... It comes in a small box, and there is it won't close. There's so much stuff in there. Right. Not only is there so much stuff, the presentation is Ian O'Toole artwork, the fact that it's gone for a different theme, and the component quality is through the roof for a 35-minute small game. Lovely. You're making me want to play it. This is, by the way, one of them I haven't played. This is correct. 
So yeah, well that already makes me want to play it. I'm not sure about the anthropomorphic characters in it, but you get like a hippo and an alligator and a. Are they not like too that. bad? They're, they're quite not, cool. Yeah, they're not too bad. Yeah, they're not scary. Okay. Like dogs. <laughs> okay, and it's got that theme and that feel. This is not a Hanseatic League market. It's not Wall Market in in Leicestershire in 12th century England. It's something different. And they went whole hog into it and did a whole different presentation and made this game unique. That, I think, has to be applauded, but it also raises expectations for what you're going to get, which is, in effect, a small filler game. Yeah, but you can't judge a game just based on its theme only. I think people need to know, and people have enough resources now these days to to understand what they're going to get when, when they get a game. So... If you've gone into this and you've just followed it for the theme, then you're kind of opening yourself up for disappointment because it could be anything. I'm just saying that they should be applauded for what they did. Definitely, 100%, yeah. For doing something different, so many people are calling out for that kind of thing, so well done there. Okay. Any other comments before I start talking about my downers on it? (laughs) Okay, well, no, I've just been doing my BGG hauling. There's not a lot of comments about this one. One person raised a issue saying that it was good with four but three it was lacking with three is there a problem with player count i think it's really really tight with four like horribly tight too tight (laughs) the thing with it is you can know you've lost Mm. because there's a rhythm to the game whereby you print the money you launder the money you bank the money Mm -hmm. and everyone is following very much the same pattern if you try and break out of that pattern if you try and go right i'm not I'm going to print, print twice, and then I'm going to... Like, and you don't get in that rhythm. And let's say... Because when the Godfather's come in, everyone obviously just flies to the Caribbean. just goes, boom, 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 goes to the Caribbean. There's only three spots you can fly to the Caribbean. If you're the yeah. fourth player, you can't fly. Or they go and bank their money. The next player just plops it on a police spot. Boom, Godfather's here. You've lost half your money. You're now behind the curve. Right. Yeah, and so it's really, really tight with four players. Now, that person clearly liked that, but... For me, I have an issue even with three players that you have to follow this rhythm of, of I do this and we all do this and we all do that and then we all bank at the same time. With four, it makes it worse. Couple, Just a couple of quotes. Um, one, I tend to go to the negative ones. I really should get some positive ones into these things as well. Don't bother. Art is nice and the idea is sound, but the execution is poor. There's no actual need. Move the police action tracker at the end. Well, yeah. So basically what, what drives it is the fact that if I've gone away and banked, and I have no real money in front of me, then I want to drive the police. Yeah. So, it's going to gonna move on. Uh, I think if you play two-player, the police can be very slow. It's a short track, the police can be very slow because it never fills up. It doesn't really adjust the number of spaces very well for two players. Yeah. So yeah. that would be where the issue is there, I would say. Uh, another one was very much in the same vein, but the question I have for you is, um, does it stand up to repeated plays? No. <laughs> okay, right. Because there's no room to diversify your strategy. You're just doing the same thing again and again and again. Now, again, the problem is trying to judge it as a, just a filler mm. because it takes a bit of thought. You know, you can get caught out, you can get stuck, but it takes 35 minutes to play. So it nearly neither fish nor fowl. And I think that's why it hasn't found its market because it hasn't got a market because... Who wants to play a 35-minute game in which you can know you've lost in the first 10 minutes? Yeah. And you're doing the amount of thinking for a Euro worker placement game 
but it's all very quick and hurried and limited and small. Mm-hmm. So I, I really admire the effort. I love the attempt they've done with counterfeiters. There's lots to admire, and it's close, but it's no Cuban cigar. Okay, very good. That was counterfeiters. We're now going to move on to a tiny little town, Ronan. All of them. All of them. The All tiny the towns. tiny towns. The 2019 release uh, designed by Peter McPherson from AEG playing one to six players. We, Ronan, are the mayor of tiny town. Both never, of us. You never thought that we would be a mayor of anything tiny, Ronan. That's well. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> well, there you are. <laughs> We are building a haven for smaller creatures in the woods and the land is small and the resources are scarce. So in tiny towns we have a four... Is that really the theme? Yeah. What's it got to do with woolen creatures? I don't know. I, told, I pointed out the weird creature things on the cover when we were looking at the cover of I it. I don't remember that at all. And, you know, the, the frog was chilling out with a, with a banjo or something. <laughs> was that me? Yeah, it was with you. I don't remember this. Anyway, yeah, it's, it's all about creatures and building things. It isn't. It is. <laughs> it's not. So in the game itself, you have a four... Tiny Towns is an abstract strategy puzzle game. <laughs> okay. Where you have a 4x4 four four grid, and you're going to place resource cubes. You have different colours for the different resources. I haven't got a clue what the resources are. Red and yellow yeah, and yeah. green and blue in and pink and brown. Certain patterns or layouts to match building plans. Once you complete that building, you place the building mini on one of the squares that you used. The twist is when you choose a cube colour to place, everybody else has to place that colour and vice versa. Ooh. Buildings score in a variety... I like the way you looked at me like it was a surprise. <laughs> I don't know I played it. <laughs> in a ver- buildings are going to score in a variety of different ways. We're going to go into it, but... You will also randomise what buildings come in for each game. There's a certain selection to choose from. There is. There is. And, Ronan, that was a very quick intro to a very quick game that's very quick to teach. Oh, all right, Quickie. <laughs> hey, Quickie McQuickerson. How will anyone remember this game, and particularly the name of it? There are, there's Tiny Town, there's Small Town, there's Small City, there's City Town, there's Tiny Tiny Town on the City, little dodgy. Small World. The, the small World's a bit different, <laughs> but towns, cities, villages that are small, tiny, large, medium, robust, not robust. <laughs> Why this is a bad <laughs> choice of a name. There's, is that, haven't you, yeah, yellow? Out of all the things I thought you were going to start off with. A rail against the, the name Because it's a dumbass name. It's not that it's Tiny Towns. Is completely unmemorable. No one will remember this. What's the yellow game that's coming out that is called almost exactly the same thing at Essen? You can't remember because no one's going to remember the name of these I games. I remember Tiny Towns because it's about um, animals building a little town. <laughs> it's flipping not. I, I am the mayor of Tiny Town. I will not have it. <laughs> you will have it because no one flipping knows because it's a bad name for a uh, game. Get on with the game, you misery. Okay. It's got the right kind of interaction. So clearly, the puzzle itself has to be interesting for yes. a puzzle game, right? Mm-hmm. It is. Correct. That's the first thing you got to do. If you're going to do it, it's abstract, you're do a puzzle game, building you game. Make the puzzle game. Good. Yeah. <laughs> the puzzle game. The puzzle is good. So let's start there and let's build on what the other things that make it a good or a bad game. Interactive, Ronan. Massively interactive because every time you choose, everybody else has got to follow suit 
and you can not only stitch it people up, you can get into teams and all this into sync with each other. You can predict what people are going to take for their turn, what they're going to need, and maybe leave that color out when you choose yours. In that tiny little mechanism, there lies a whole sea of options. I like how excited you were getting. I, I did get that. excited. There was a lot of arm gesture. There was a lot of arm gesture. I like it. Yes. Now. Now. Oh, hang on. The hand is up. Good. Oh, I'm having up. that, and we will go, yeah. And it's funny as well, because you've got the chance to really screw with people, <laughs> but do. it comes at the cost that you've got to take a cube. And also the times where you're like, I really need a blue, but if I take a blue, it's going to help everyone else. Should I do it or not? But Aww. that leads me into play account. Yes. Even with four, four is funny, but it's a different game to two and three. Yes. And then you go above four, you're into just mayhem. Just people scoring five points by this. Above four, you have no control. No. And, then and it, you want, you're, you're not craving control in this game. It's not about control. It's about. No, I do crave control in I this know, game. You, I can't yeah. get it. <laughs> you can't get it. But you do have a semblance of control at the at the lower end of the player count. Obviously, two player, there's a reasonable amount of control, but and you know exactly how to stitch each other up. So, two player, as you said, is a different game. But four player, I think I really liked it at four player. There's just that bit of craziness and a bit of random, and you do get into little partnerships with people. While it may have been more fun in quote marks I can't say I preferred it with four I preferred the two or three player game where there was a bit more thinking ahead and planning yeah and controlling but controlling control. that's certainly you're a rubbish mayor of tiny town you're actually much better than me because I was rubbish <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like also with the different sets of cards that you can tailor make a setup for be it for a family or for because it's, it's simply our families can play it or, or a learning game where you bring out slightly more forgiving like the one that can count as any colour cube when you're building and stuff yeah, particularly yeah. is quite forgiving for people mm-hmm. or the shed that's very easy to build and when you build it you can then put it anywhere because usually you've got to put your building into one of the spaces where one of the cubes that you use to build it is yeah. but with the shed you can put it anywhere so you can fill single gaps and stuff like that so you can set, do a setup and say this is the easy version and then when you've got people you don't like around set up the, the real meaner version that's yeah. quite hard to <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's nice that you can adapt it to your audience around the table once you know the yeah. game. And I think monuments are, you get personal cards and you can build your own personal monument. They're a bit uppy-downy. A little bit uppy-downy, but I think it gives you that smattering of individuality on on your board. I think that they're a white elephant. No, I quite like them. Uh, when you go for them, though, you tend to then mess up other things. I tend to then have cubes... I don't need that. I look at my board yeah, and go, you are I've a lot better this, at this game than me, so I just go for them because they're mine. I'm not real. I've lost a lot. Ellie is literally a savant at this game. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like lunacy. But then I tend to end up with a few cubes that are just randomly, because I've been trying to build this big, massive five-thingy monument. And mm. I'm not convinced on the monuments. Anyway... Do you want to sum up for us on Tiny Towns, unless you've got anything... No, no. Uh, Tiny Towns, the name itself made my heart sink. Uh, when you brought it out and you're saying like oh yeah it's these cubes you place cubes and you build this thing on the ground I'm like oh Sean what are you doing surprised how much I like it it's dynamic and challenging puzzle there's lots of variety to it it can be very punishing and it's a very good game Tiny Towns Tiny Towns for me really quick teach really quick to get into it highly interactive 
We haven't talked about the iconography. I thought that was absolutely spot on, just added to that, just the yeah, speed of getting of into it. Um, yeah, but what this, this does really well. Okay. I think it is best at three or four, but two is fine. Six, no. It's a nice family weight game that can cater for the more seasoned gamers, and that's Tiny Towns. Beautiful. Quick interlude, and we'll be back shortly with six more games. Welcome back indeed and cracking on with the next six games. I'm going to kick off with Legacy of Dragonholt, a one to six player game taking, well, as long as you like really, per session, but up to about a thousand minutes to complete, apparently. A thousand minutes. A thousand. Well, it says 999, but I thought I'd round it up. (laughs) Okay. Designed mainly by Nikki Valens and also some of the team from Fantasy Flight Games who published it in 2017. This is a narrative game in which you are very much on choose your own adventure but a lot deeper and there's lots of books and the stories are interconnected and the passages are a lot longer and there's lots of choices but that's pretty much what you're doing but when you begin this campaign you're going to choose a party you're going to choose some skills and a background for each of your characters and that's going to open up different choices for you you're going to start reading and eventually the passage is going to give you a choice of what you want to do The story itself begins with you being summoned by an old friend you used to adventure with, heading into a forest, meeting some characters, and eventually you will make it to the town of Dragonholt itself. I don't think that's too much of a spoiler. And then via a series of linked adventures via separate books, you're going to interact with various characters and you're going to face the repercussions of certain actions and certain things that happen in this town and in the surrounding environs. With the different skills you've chosen, you're going to unlock different options and each player takes a turn, but they're not fixed turns, but you have a token and once you've decided and use your skills, you flip your token over. When everyone's tokens are flipped over, they reflip and then anyone can choose to go next, but everyone's getting equal number of turns. So you're trying to choose from the situation you're in who is best suited to deal with each of the things, be it being diplomatic, lying, casting a rune, having to move some rocks, whatever it may be, you choose between you and we'll see what's going on. You're going to be fighting bandits, meditating with priests. You're going to be uh, undoing family politics, starting bar brawls. You're going to be meeting mental goblins that will be shouting at you and ruining you and pretend to be on your side and lying, attend a wedding. There's all sorts of different stuff. For all of them, there's a set amount of time in which you're going to have to achieve whatever it is you want to achieve or, again, face repercussions. And as time goes on, the town of Dragonholt itself is dynamic and different things happen on different days and you'll ask me to go somewhere and if you're late, it will have already happened or if you're early, it won't be there yet. And the game creates options where it asks you, are you on a particular day? Are you at a particular time? And as these things are called story points. And when you do particular things or don't do them in a story, it marks story points off and it says, have you got story point R5? If you have, here's your passage if you haven't here's your passage so the things you do are gonna i keep saying that's what it's all about make your choices impact your own story live your life be the best you you can possibly be in a dynamic world sean for this narrative game legacy of dragonholt right just quickly well not on topic but slightly away from the game itself going through the board game geek comments on on this one i was absolutely disgusted to find people rating the game low low because there are gay and lgbt characters within the storyline and there's there's more than one let's just say that way there are many comments about oh people should be warned about this this sort of thing in games and rating it as a one or a two i you can't hear me shaking my head but they probably can 
Just yeah, it's quite a big head. <laughs> just live your life. Oh people, my god, I, I, just... I, you don't, I don't personally see it often in games, and it really disappoints me in the gaming world when I do see it. And yeah, I just want. I, I like the comments disappoint you as opposed to the actual content of the game because that could have been mis- yeah, <laughs> yeah, sorry, yes, comment, yeah. Man. The comments on the the subject matter, just rating something down and bad mouthing it because it's got something that there's a same sex yeah, wedding in different. it, yeah. Uh, and it's I mean it, again people just seem to be living their life in this game they seem to be you know people just do what they want to do exactly. there's all sorts of stuff going on there's extramarital yeah. affairs and there's there's you know there's single parents there's you know it's just a, a normal yeah. I just society. wanted to give some support to the game the makers of the game and just say people get over yourselves yeah I mean I, you know people aren't going to listen to us cool. on the podcast to change that sort of small minded behaviour but I think it's worth highlighting at least that it's just it, ridiculous but Ronan the game itself I am desperate to play this game <laughs> desperate I am absolutely desperate to play when it first came out I thought oh that's that's definitely something I want to go for and for some reason I never picked it up I've gone for it loads of times on maths trades and trades here and there but I've never quite managed to pick up a copy yeah is it as good as it sounds is it this wide open what sprawling world where you can just do what you want no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, you are tied to a story. Yeah. Okay. What What is kind of great about it is that it doesn't tell you where to go. You put yourself in a situation until you start one of the specific adventures whereby, right, you're going into a mine or you're going into a crypt, right, then there's a set course, which I understand. Yeah. When you're in the town itself, it just says, right, it's day three. It gives you a map of the town and it says, that's the number page you need to go to or paragraph you need to go to if you want to go there. And you open it up and it says... You're at such and such tavern. What day is it? It's day three. Read day three. Right, this is what's going on. What do you want to do? And then that encounter will finish and it won't tell you where to go after that. It's like, right, where do you want to go? You choose another location in the town. And it's via your own path. So we went and helped out a dwarf dude who had a daughter. And so then we went back to see her again or we went to see uh, these this old couple and they loved each other when they were young. And then they had gone down different paths and then we managed to forge them back together again by finding something that had been carved a long time ago, which meant something which triggered it off. And then you go and visit them again and see what's going on. And because it's over several days, that you know, each, each sort of game day is several days within the world itself. So things are changing and developing and being rebuilt. And Very good. And it feels like you're in a real place. And the biggest part of that is the character writing, the fact that the characters are genuinely funny, they react to things, that you can go into any situation. We walked into a bar and a fellow was talking to a gnome telling the gnome that gnomes don't exist <laughs> and you could get involved in that argument and you could choose what you want to do as part of that and one of our characters was a gnome and we we were laughing so hard at this conversation and how often do you read one of these adventure stories where you're actually laughing and it's funny and you actually care and there's characters in there things happen to characters and you're bothered you're like oh no not not to them please yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and it, it, the genius is in the writing and the design and how real that they've made the world. And it totally works. Right. Can I, I fire a few questions at you, Ronan? You can. Okay, so will role-playing gamers find it boring and limited? Because you've had a recent chance to play with your brother, who who is a role-playing game. Is there a chance that it will almost sit too nicely between two camps for the gamers and the role-players? It depends what you want from your role-playing game. If you're into combat and tactics and a lot of XP and min-maxing your character, no, it's not going to work for you. It's a narrative game. If you're into discovering a story, you're the sort of role-player, it's more about story, and it, 
likes to choose your own adventure, which is what my brother's like, then you're going to enjoy this because that's exactly what it is. It, it's a more a hybrid of those two. I've seen some of the more sort of uh, reasonable criticisms on Board Game Geek suggest that the, the writing standards aren't always great. How did you find them? The standard, as in technically the writing, okay, not always fantastic, but the ability to evoke a world within the fact of the limitations that the players have got freedom was what struck me, and I felt that was more important than the technical standard of the writing. It wasn't terrible by any means. Okay. Will it shine more as a solo game or as a group activity? Group, because it's like any role-playing. When, when you're playing with any party role play, hopefully, they'll come up with ideas you'd never have thought of, and they'll want to do things you never thought of. And one of the clever things it does is with the skill system, everyone gets to feel special, because one of you might have chosen archery, one of you might have runes, one of you might have endurance, and you will come across things where it says, if you can act, this is your choice. If you've got archery, and they're completely different choices. If you've got archery, this is your choice. If you can do this, deception, this is your choice. You know, and you go, all oh, right, you've got archery, do you want to do it? Or you've got deception, do you want to do it? And they then unveil their own part of the story that no one else could unveil. Very good. And it, everyone gets their chance to shine. Very good. And lastly, is there any re- replayability and if not, is it worth the cost? No and yes. Okay, very good. So when, you, <laughs> when you're finished with yours, I want it. <laughs> that's, that's, that's my summing up. I gathered that if you ever wanted the story of a role-playing game and to have that group experience of going through a world and discovering it together, albeit a generic fantasy world, it's set in tearing off FFG's fantasy world, but with some different characters, in it, which is what, you know, for me, it's all about... This is a you don't have the time to do it. It's a fantastic choice for doing so. It is excellent. I've absolutely loved it. It's one of my favourite gaming experiences of this year. And the only thing I can say is, I mean, Nikki Valens has left FFG and gone um, out on their own, and she's doing her own thing. Please do more. Uh, it's called the Oracle System. I think FFG actually own the rights to the system. But please, somehow, Nikki, FFG, whoever needs to do it, make more of these Oracle games, and I'm sure they're going to get gobbled up because I think this is. One of those slow burners that's getting more and more and more of a following. Well, Nikki Valens is certainly becoming one of my favourite designers out there. She's done some great stuff. Uh, moving on to Dark Domains, Roman. Designed by one of the Baldwin brothers, William. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Horger, Carla Horger. That night, those drinks. And Joseph Rausch. Coming from Labor- Laboratory H and playing two to five players. So in the game... Well, the Harrows is the major city in this area of this world. And the city leader wants to expand its influence by helping others to found cities. You can see own. Harrow from here, by the way. Yeah. Look out the window. It's just out there. <laughs> oh, no, just, uh, no, no, yes, <laughs> I didn't yeah. realise there'd be a game about it. There you go. And he wants the other people to, to found cities of their own in the nearby wilderness. Now, we are those new city leaders, but we have other ideas. We follow an evil necromancer who seeks to throw shadow across the land. Shade. There you go. And we are building our cities with the express intention of turning them into dark havens of evil, Ronan. <laughs> Just like Harrow. Harrow, yeah. <laughs> so Dark Domains is a worker placement game where you place your workers in a vast selection of workers. Vast. Vast selection of worker placement areas the main aim is to construct buildings on your player board to give you resources and eventually flip them over to the dark side and earn points to do this you are placing your workers or minions onto the board to collect resources money henchmen which are going to give you ongoing powers spells 
You've got to cast spells at specific times to gain resources, attack other players, defend your buildings from attack, etc. You are going to get building templates, which you're going to later build. You're going to get monsters, which are going to defend your buildings. You can also influence a group of heroes called the Torin Company, who are going to go on quests during the game to attack evil or dark buildings in your lands. The realms follow various phases, including the event phase, action phase, resolution, construction, income, and until the end of the world card is revealed, and the person with the most evil points is going to win the game and gain the favour of the necromancer. Dark Domains Ronan, there is a lot going on. Yes, and it makes it very flexible. It means that it can be played as a straight-up Euro, Mm-hmm. More or less, yeah. And also, it's got that opportunity and that freedom to play a bit more mental, <laughs> and and have it kick off the scale a little as well, and be much less controlled. I think the game probably leans towards the bit more mental side with some of those events and things it that happen. Wants the game. It the game wants to lean towards that way. I think that if you had a table, and I have played with the table Euro gamers, they can keep a fairly tight lid on it. Right. Because the where the mental side comes in is the, the big point scoring is going to be when you flip over these tiles and generally the more powerful a tile is, this, this building is, that's definitely where the adventurers are going to go after. Although they, they seek certain types of buildings, they're like mm-hmm. a holy building or a production building, whatever it might be. You can manipulate that lineup of heroes in advance to make sure that they're never coming after the stuff that's been built yeah. and they're only after the piddly piddly stuff. Or you can be everyone can just flip over to these massively powered buildings and try and hire in dragons and elementals <laughs> and then have attack spells and defense spells. Or everyone can have a hand of production spells and gather lots of resources yeah. and build lot. You know, and there's a lot of flexibility. But the game works on both levels and all the levels in between, mm-hmm. and that's the massive trick that they pulled off for me. Yeah, I think you do have to look at that touring company and plan ahead to a certain degree because you can't. Happy attacked all the time. If you're always the subject of attack, you look good. Are you lose mocking me? <laughs> you are going to lose the game, and you did. And I have, every time I've played, I'm very, very poorly, not just against you. Yes, you do have to be aware of what's going on. And it's one of the nice things that the rule makes clear is that everyone needs to discuss where the heroes are going. It's not supposed to be a surprise. Yeah. This one is going to the baddest money generating building that's on the board so everyone uh, and it's nice that you do have that bit of control amongst what can be a lot of chaos with lots of different spells going off different henchmen powers different monsters and what have you like you say the game can feel like there's a lot spiraling around but it has got these centers where you go right but that's actually what matters that's that's where the heroes are going this worker placement we place them all then it follows a particular chain and it's ground enough that it doesn't become confusing they'll some people just don't like take that elements in a game, and I, although I, I'm more and more enjoying take that in a game, I still don't. It's not my favourite thing to to experience, but this one it has it in spades. But for some reason, it pulls off the trick of it being funny rather than it being massively personal. I if I got more upset when the games stabbed me in the back than when you and Rachel stabbed me in the back when we played it with you. Well, I think it wears its heart on its sleeve. And it straight up tells you you are evil. And that actually leads me to something that I think is the absolute key to it. 
In so many games, you're going to convert money into points. You're going to convert resources into points. And every building you've built is going to be worth points. And the colour of your hat's going to be worth points. And who your auntie is going to be worth points. <laughs> In this, the only thing that counts is evil. Yeah. That's it. Mm-hmm. So if you haven't generated evil, you cannot win the game. And absolutely makes that clear. And I think that that actually leads to the fact that even when you're getting attacked... If someone takes one off you, like, well, I know, I know what that means. I, it, it's all in the e- how much evil it was going to generate. I know exactly what's happened to me. It's not an interlocking system that I have to work out the consequences ten t- rounds down. Yeah. The spells aren't just blatant. There, there are quite there's some quite clever ones that just stop you doing something. No, no, there are some blatant ones. There are some blatant ones, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they're not just blatant ones in there. There are ones that will stop you doing something that will stop you do something another round and, and, and slightly slightly more subtle ones in there. Oh, there's, there's ones like where you know, every turn, many people they want to go to the thing where you can like buy and sell resources. Go there hammer it buy as much stone as you possibly can then at the end of the round play the thing that no one can buy stone next turn yeah. and they're all like no you know, there's things like that that, yeah, are, that yeah, are funny yeah. but happen so often it's one of those that you can't really get annoyed about and just be like you son of a I think however Ronan we're saying quite positive things I think you found in particular that the game can be quite group dependent and you can break your pen <laughs> <laughs> That's another casualty to the game. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think I, that's what I addressed at the beginning, saying a Euro, a bunch of Euros can put a lid on the game. Yeah. In fact, it's a very valid strategy to just buy low-threat buildings, flip them, but try and do as many as them we can, because they mm. don't cost many resources. You can build yeah, quite a few. Yeah. And then even if you lose one, you know, I've, I'm still producing four or five evil, whereas if I've got one builder that's produced my four or five evil and I lose it, that's it. That's yeah. my whole economy of points gone. One of the things I do like also is that with Euro players... There is a set of spells that are production spells that boost your production and gives you more wood, more this, or whatever. And they seem very powerful, and your players go for them. In my games, I've never seen the person who hammers production win the game because that's not enough. It's not a Euro game. That's, it doesn't score points just for having 212 farms. You've yeah. got to do something with it. And then you have to have monsters and you have to play the rest of the game, not just getting grabbing, doing the Sean trick of grabbing as many resources <laughs> as possible. I, I, I like that the game pulls that off. And I think the monsters in themselves, that when they're defending your building and you've got defensive spells, actually drawing the Torrin company onto you can also be beneficial because you're going to score evil points from that. And when someone starts doing that, you get a whole load of attack cards. Yeah, well, obviously there. <laughs> I, I want to be... I haven't sat down and played this with a bunch of players who love the interaction, who know the game, and I'll just gonna be forget any other spells. We're just buying twenty eight aggressive spells or whatever it be, and playing sort of you know the full lunacy. Right, who can be most evil here? Let's do this and take it on. I'd love to see how it works at that end of the scale. Very good. So, do you want to sum up quickly for us? Because of the ambition and what they've reached for in Dark Domains for a thematic, different Euro game, that it, the Euro bit is not what's going to win you. The play experience can be variable, but f- within that, and in general, it works remarkably well. I like the fact that it actually blends story. For example, the henchmen are very thematic. The fact that you're casting spells and you're you're competing, it makes sense. You're all evil. You're trying to be the most evil, but mm. you're trying to actually do it a little bit subtly so you don't get your butts kicked. I like that a lot, and Dark Domains is a hit for me. I've enjoyed it, and I thoroughly intend to continue enjoying it. 
For me, Dark Domains was uh, a bit of a punt when I saw it on Kickstarter. I liked the look of the game. I liked the fact that you weren't a hero going out to vanquish evil. It was flipping it slightly. You were the evil player. It is a lovely production, but the game in itself just proved way more fun than I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be that tight Euro experience, and I was proved wrong, and I'm glad I was because... The games I've had so far have been absolutely hilarious. There's been cries of agony from players. There's been whoops when you when you pull off something. And that just screams to me a good time. It might not be the tightest game out there, but if you're having a good time playing it, who cares? And I thoroughly enjoyed my games of Dark Domains. So I'm going to continue my pattern of talking about games that used to be hot and that I'm just getting around to playing. <laughs> <laughs> this is Decrypto. Three to eight players, 30 minutes long. Designed by Tomar Dagonet L'Esperance and by the Scorpion Musk. It's a team word game in which the teams each get four words and the whole team can see these four words. They're going to take turns being the clue master for their team. Clue master draws a code card that gives them a sequence of four numbers so that each of their words is tied to a number so if i had 314 i'm trying to get my team to guess in the right order that i'm telling them the code is 314 by writing down three words and they are linked to the word that's number three the word that's number one and the word that's number four when i tell them those words the other team get to hear now my team has to work out what my code is and you're hoping definitely in the beginning that that's fairly easy if one of them's cap and I say hat, then hopefully you'll work out that number three word is cap. I've written down hat. That's what I'm going for. If they guess correctly, that's grand. If they guess incorrectly and do that twice, we'd have lost the game. Now, the other team also get a chance to intercept the codes. You can't be too obvious. In the beginning, the first round, they've got nothing to go on. So there's no point bothering intercepting you. You're just trying to do it on luck. But afterwards, you build up a bank of words that are linked to the words of the other team so that you can look down. And if it shares fish, beach, amity and boat, you might be looking for a shark or something along those lines. And by doing so, every time then you hear, you're trying to build up an idea of what the words are of the other teams you can intercept. If you intercept twice, you have won the game. That's the whole entire game, Sean. And Decrypto was sold to me as a code names killer. Ooh, can you code believe names that? killer. That's, that's big talk. Slaying right the beast. Tell you what Decrypto was for me when I first saw it. Go on. Nostalgic. Oh, do you ever remember those little cracker things where, when you were a kid? They had the, the spy games when you had the little letters behind the red plastic. I do. That, that's what it reminded me of. You actually thought you were a spy with them, didn't you? Did. you? It was you just did. last year. <laughs> <laughs> I got arrested a couple of times, but never mind. <laughs> yeah, so that was my first thought. I think what well, I'll I just get, explain that. Go on. The, the code words come on a card, you can't read them until you slot them into a standee. Oh, I thought got that, you already had it. No, way. you just don't listen to me. I don't. It's got that red papery stuff that means you can only see the word once it's inside. Yeah, that's it. It's not a big thing, but it's a thing. It's not a big That's thing. what Sean's decided to focus on, though. Yeah, yeah. I'm intrigued. <laughs> what I did find when I actually started playing the game was that it was very accessible and instantly so running. As you, you've just explained the whole game, and that's pretty much all you did when we played it. We just started playing effectively. And I think that might be where the idea that Codenames Killer comes from because Codenames is front-loaded with difficulty because when you first look at the board, there's all the words mm -hmm. and you're trying to link them without linking the other words. And until some start getting eliminated, and eliminating possible links, it, you know, then it becomes easier. Decrypto is the opposite, I've found. That at the beginning, it's easier to give your clues. And then as the bank of clues builds up, 
you're attempting to be more obscure while still allowing your team to get it. And I found that as the game goes on, the clue giving slows down. A little bit, but I do like the cleverness of that sort of... That was quite a dismissal of my point. A little bit, but anyway. A little bit, not so much. <laughs> yeah, no, not you. <laughs> I, I, I love it. My point is that I actually enjoyed the cleverness of that. It's that double puzzle in that you're trying to hide your answers from the other teams and also guess their, their answers as well as convey the stuff to yours. So I actually quite enjoyed it as it went along because I was getting more of an idea of what you guys were doing. You were throwing a few red herrings out there as much as you can because you've still got to pass the clue over to the other person. And I I thought that was quite clever. Yeah, I was terrible at it. I'm pretty bad at word association games. Oh, atrocious. Atrocious. So I was really bad at guessing the other team's clue. So actually, I was getting frustrated with the extension (laughs) of the downtime. And I felt sorry for the clue givers more and more because it became harder and harder. And then people are sitting there going, I really don't know what to say. And you're like, oh, don't give it away. Like, That's not helping. And the game became less fun for me. And I know this is definitely, definitely just my opinion because this does not match with the rest of the world. This is the number two ranked party game on BGG, by the way. <laughs> so, But the game became less fun for me as each round went carried on. Okay. I'm pretty much ready to sum up. So am I. There's not much to it. It's there just really what our opinions are on a word game. Clever and accessible. A game that I would gladly play any time. Is it a Codenames killer? No. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> I would gladly play either of them. If I had to choose, I'd probably say Codenames just. But the crypto is, is certainly a worthy competitor. It's good. It's not great. The slowdown momentum kind of stops it from from moving up from just being good for me i think there's plenty of other word games that are just as good i had fun i'd play it but it's nowhere near a codenames killer okay that's the crypto so another quick ish game is cat lady designed by josh wood coming from aeg playing two to four players we are cat ladies (laughs) we are that's true and we are looking to gather our beloved cats and make sure that they are fed comforted and entertained (laughs) And dressed up. And dressed up, yeah. And talked. (laughs) And sprayed occasionally. (laughs) Taken to photo shoots. The game has a three by three grid of cards populated with cats, with food needs, three types of food, catnip costumes and toys. On a turn, you are going to select a row or a column and take all three cards and then you're going to replace them and move a cat marker to that row or column. Players can now not take from that same row or column. You're getting the cards into your hand to score off them, essentially. Cats are going to score if they are fed, and you're going to get minus points if they're not. Toys score a set collections. There are also lost cat cards in there, and they can be used to get stray cats into your tableau, which is more scoring. Spray bottles, as I mentioned briefly there, are going to allow you to move the cat marker so you can get more access to the ones that you can't get. Simple mechanisms, very easy game to get into. It seems to be a bit of a theme of the of today, Ronan. Mm, I've I've paired the games up somehow. Oh, you? Oh, did you yeah, notice yeah, I did that yeah, in a running order? Yeah, nicely done. Dragon Heart and Dark Domains went together. Yeah, and now these are two quick ones. Yeah. You like it? Yeah, good. Did, all right. Did you mean to? Yeah, yeah. I did. Yeah. Did you? You don't appreciate me. I don't. I put a lot of thought into this. <laughs> okay, Cat Lady, Sean. Mm-hmm. As soon as AG announced the game called Cat Lady, I knew, given that Rachel loves cats that this was going to end up in my house. And From someone, it was mentioned to me about 40 times before I actually saw a copy of it by various people, 
you got to get that for Rachel, mate. And it, it filled me with a sense of dread. And I completed that dread by actually presenting you with that copy of Because you're the worst person I, I ever met. Person. And I was like, oh, great. Thanks a lot. <laughs> yeah, we'll definitely play this. I'll really look forward to it. It's good. <laughs> it's better than it should be. It really is better than it should be. Oh, that, that's the review. Cat Lady, better than it should be. No, it's a good filler. The theme wins people over. There's people that will play this that would never play Seven Wonders in a million years. And we need to have different themes. And we need to not just be looking at putting Vikings and Orcs on, on the fronts of games. And by all means, good. If Cat Lady is what it takes to, to open up fun to people, then fantastic. Yep. It starts off all nice and simple, doesn't it? And then slowly the choices become more and more irritating and agonising. I don't know. Yeah, when you have agonizing. to take, when you have to take cats that you really just can't feed, it's irritating. And you, irritate? I wouldn't say agonising. Oh, maybe not agonising, but it's certainly it's certainly a pain in the bum. You have to. Take, there's a row. Every row you can take or column you can take has a cat that you can't feed towards the end. Or somebody hate drafting is quite funny in this. Yeah, somebody desperately after tuna to feed like oh, yeah, three or four cats. Take, every piece take of tuna a double going. tuna. Yeah, of yeah, course. Yeah. <laughs> well, what else are you going to do? Or even funnier, you know, they haven't got a spray bottle and just put the cat on it. <laughs> yeah, and the fact is, there are choices like that, and that you can follow it along, and you can see what people want, and you can be like, actually, I'm making a genuine choice here. Do you know? I'm going to throw a little one out there. Go on then. It's like they took Sushi Go, which I don't really like because it's too simple and you can't plan ahead, mm. and they threw a little bit of Maori in there. <laughs> okay. Just a little bit. I can see well, that. A little bit of like, yeah. oh, I'll take that one and I'll take this one and I'll yeah, do, do the old bit, diamond. A bit, yeah. Yeah. Horizontal and vertical. Around the corners. Yeah, around the corners. Bit right angle. Yeah, a bit of right angle. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> perpendicular to parallel, etc. That You know, and that's enough for this game. Is that- There's a bit of planning ahead. It's drafting, you know, each of the things scores differently, but they're not yeah. completely dull. It's a pleasant half an hour at the table. Yeah. Okay. And you felt like you played a proper game. Is that you summing up? That's me, that's Cat Lady. It's better, right. Yeah, Cat decent. Lady is fun to play with the odd tough choice. Won't outstay any welcome. And I tell you what, as long as I get Chairman Meow, oh. then all is well in the world. You got any more of the names of those cats? To throw I haven't. There? I love Chairman Meow. Oh, I always wow. go for <laughs> whether I whether I need him or not. I always go for a little Chairman Meow. <laughs> this episode feels like a long march. Okay, we're done with Cat Lady. Yes. Let's move on to the final two games of this episode. And my final game is a it's a bit of an out there one, but we're going to go with it. It's Defense Grid. It's a one to four player 90 minute game from Anthony Hanses and Forged by Geeks. You've probably neither heard never heard of either. There's a reason for that. Defense Grid was a video game. It's a tower defense video game. And this fella, Anthony, got hold of the license for it and decided he was going to make a game about Defense Grid. He loves it. And he's going to kickstarter it. And he had all manner of massive plans for it. What we got at the end of it, and, and I backed the Kickstarter because I'm a big fan of the game Defense Grid, the computer game, is a co-op in which each of the players is an AI represented by a deck of cards, which we have shared resources. And for each scenario, there is a route, a map that gets laid out with tiles. And on there, there's a route that the aliens are going to follow who are attempting to come and steal your cause in waves. And there are tower spaces whereby between us, we can spend our shared resources to build towers. And then on our turn, we are going to be using cards from our hand 
to activate those towers or to give them special attacks by boosting them or to give them special ammunition. And in doing that, we're going to attempt to defeat these aliens, as I said, that are coming. And there's different types of aliens with various speed. They'll move a certain amount. It's always unpredictable, but within a certain range. They have a health. They have shields that you have to destroy before you can start damaging them. They've got armor that will reduce all the damage they take. And there's various different types. So, of course, there's different types of towers from your basic gun through your fire tower, through a Tesla tower, missile towers, all sorts of different things. And they have got different things like areas of effect and rate of fire and the damage that should do and the range that they do damage at. And once you've built towers, you can upgrade them and you can boost them so they can shoot over other towers or you can sell them back and get more resources back. But in every single scenario, these waves are coming in, you're attempting to shoot them with your towers. If you stop the aliens from marching off with at least one core, you have won that map. But if you only save one core, then you've won it to a bronze level and you get a limited number of points to build your deck with for the next turn and build your own AI abilities, in fact. If you save at least six, you've got a silver. And if you save all 12, you've got a gold, which will give you more XP in effect that you spend to boost your stats, to bring in more cards into your deck. Also, as you go through the scenarios, new towers become available to you. And therefore, make, you can choose cards in your deck if you want that. Activate a type of tower you can't build, but they're going to be of no use. Giving you more deck building options. And there are lots of deck building options right from the start. And you're looking to play a map. Probably not be fantastic at it. Adjust your deck yourself. Hopefully with your other players, you're playing in campaign with other players. Play that map again. Learn how to play it. Learn how to do it perfectly and move on to the next map. That's the whole idea. That's how you play the computer game of Defence Grid. And that's how you play the board game of Defence Grid. And I'll tell you what, Sean. Mr. Anthony Hans has learned from this whole thing that kickstarting a board game is a tough old gig. Yeah, yes, he has indeed. I was going to ask you if you played the played the computer game, but you've already answered that. How does it compare to the computer game? So I played the computer game to completion twice. Right, okay, so you know it quite well. I liked it a lot. Um, it is a very good attempt to bring, but the thing obviously with the computer game is that it's fast-paced and these things are happening and, and you, you've got more freedom because the computer's doing all the overheads for you. In this you can see that there has to be a balance between I want lots going on and there are these waves waves of aliens but that will cause too much bookkeeping. So he's had to try and strike a balance between the two but he has definitely been very truthful to what the game is like. They came in a certain place, they went around got the cause and got out again and you had to build and then take down and build again and it's all there, it all feels like it. The deck building thing is very interesting that you went with that as your limitation of what you can do. Naturally, it can be frustrating if you don't draw the cards that you want. You tend to need to have two or th- need two or three players. One player is play with two AIs, three players really, to have that flexibility so that you're not getting stuck on certain turns to operate. So, you know, I need that missile tower to fire. I didn't draw a missile card. Damn. Is table space a problem here? I've seen pictures of it and it looks like it takes up a hell of a lot of space. A lot of people are moaning about that. I think it's because they want to. It comes in a lot of trays, the components. Mm -hmm. And the way the aliens are represented is this weird plastic stand with two thin poles that go up. And their shields and their abilities and their hit points are tiny little cubes that slot up and down on the little poles. Yeah, I'd lose them in a heartbeat. Yeah, (laughs) it's not too bad. It is a bit fiddly. You just don't lay out all the trays. Just take all the stands out of the trays and put them on the table. The mats can get a little bit big, but they all fit on a normal gaming table. I wouldn't play it on a kitchen table, but a normal gaming table would easily fit. I think people are getting a bit fussy about that. Fair enough. It's not cheap, is it? <laughs> now, 
I think there was a problem. Now, I only kickstarted for the basic, whatever the base thing was. Now, it wasn't cheap, and he did promise a lot of stuff <laughs> that didn't necessarily come through. He was very open and honest during the course of this campaign about this was going all completely tits up and it ended up costing him money and there are certain things he couldn't come through with and the ambitions he had for it'll be metal towers and stuff and I think they've gone wrong and you can get a refund if you want to put metal towers but they're still coming or something he said he was going to have a fully playtested map out every month for two years or something like that and he's turned around and gone I actually got to work two jobs to pay for all of this and now I can't do that anymore and you're like yeah he went really ambitious in what he was trying to do Ooh. so I think people are annoyed because they may have paid a lot of money being promised premium stuff. I don't want to sound too much of a smart-ass, but I, I read what he said at the beginning. He had no idea how to make a board game. This was a backing of love for me. Yeah, for Defense love, Grid. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, look, mate, here's my money. Best of luck. If I ever see that game, I'll count it as a win. <laughs> and I did. There you go. There you go. So... Tower defense is just not my thing at all. I've, I've never really enjoyed it. I've never enjoyed computer games on it or anything. I think this does look interesting. It's very impressive when it's just in the box itself, but out of the box. So I'd like to give it a go, but I will let you wax lyrical and talk about it a little bit more and give us your final. Wow. I'm, I am the ideal target audience, right? I played the computer game and loved mm-hmm. it. I love tower defense games. And I love board games. So I am who he was aiming at. He's got slight problems in that this game is designed to be played 30 times with the same group of people mm. and to learn and try different strategies and to be really as much into the game as he is. That, oh, if you tweak your deck a little bit of that and I put a little bit of this in it and we try it, oh, we save eight cores this time. Right, if we tweak that and tweak that, we'll save nine cores next time when you're learning and building. And in today's market, uh, and especially with the way this came out you're not going to get that level of commitment and you're not going to get everything out of the game unless you play it like that to me I enjoy it enough that I want to do it Rachel enjoys it enough that she's agreed to follow for a while on this journey with me I feel like I'm going to end up by game 15 and 20 playing it just me playing R2 decks and <laughs> continuing on and it is a bit of a beast to get out and it does look a bit odd but generally, when I've played it with people, they've engaged with the puzzle because it is just a puzzle mm. and it is very interactive and all of your decks are a shared resource and it is different and it's interesting. And I hope that copies end up in libraries and board game cafes because it's going to give you a different perspective and a different gaming experience. And if you really like tower defense games, really go out and try and find a copy of Defense Grid and give it a go because it has a depth there that I haven't found in any other board game for it. So it's definitely not a perfect game, but I really, really enjoy it. Cool. That was Defense Grid. And our last game that we're going to review anyway is the Artemis Project, designed by Daryl Chow and Daniel Rocky, coming from Grand Gamers Guild and playing one to five players. The theme behind this is we are colonists, we're arriving on Europa, Jupiter's moon, and are building structures in order to dig into the crust, and we're going to find alien life in the mineral-rich waters. The Artemis Project is a dice placement, or displacement as they call it, game, where you are placing dice on um, the main board to claim resources, which are energy and minerals. You have workers, there's four different types of workers, and you're going to be constructing buildings and going on expeditions. So after rolling your dice, you're going to place them in the resource and worker collecting areas, which, if left alone, 
will allow you to collect the same number of resources as the number depicted on your die. However, others can place a lower number and go before you when collecting. And if enough of them do this, you may not see any of your resources that you were trying to collect. Another area on the board is the expedition area. And this has a target number for the mission to succeed. And players are going to place dice to reach that number with the ones who place the most and the second most combined pips receiving a mission success medal and a bonus. You can send workers that I mentioned earlier with the dice to bump up the numbers, to knock down others and to get extra resources or even points. We also have a building area which is a straight up auction and when you get those buildings they will hold some of those workers and they, those workers will activate the powers on the buildings. If you ever don't get anything you can, you can move up on the track that gives you a little bit of a bonus. The first three rounds are going to supply the buildings that give you bonuses and make life easier and then the last three rounds are all about end of game scoring. At the end of each round, you're going to have to pay to heat any worker that isn't in the building. And points are scored in many ways, including the buildings themselves, mission medals, worker sets and more. Ronan, this is very much a game that hinges on one particular mechanism. And it's that one where you're constantly you're trying to usurp each other. There's a taste to that mechanism. Is there a taste? It's a taste of Marmite, Sean. <laughs> Absolutely. 100%. 100%. Some people love it, and some people hate it. They do. Absolutely. We found that just by, again, it was one of the games I played when I went up to Nottingham with Luke and Dan and Matthew. Matthew hated it. It was his copy that we played. He's getting rid of it. <laughs> Luke was a bit so-so, mm, mm, and Dan quite liked it. He'd played it before. And I really liked it. <laughs> I'll give it that's away. That's the full gamut. That is. That's the full spectrum. I'm surprised that you really liked it with that sort of meanness and, and kicking each other out. Because you always say you don't like that much interaction in the Euro and you don't like to be messed with. But quite often when it's in the game, you go, oh, I really like that. I think if it sets out to do that, if it's just part of the game, but this almost is the game. There are other bits, but every element is about gambling and it's about that bid to to get either their first or choosing the right number or just a straight up auction for something so you know what you're getting into once that mechanism has been described okay the mechanism itself now i didn't play it i was next to a game of it being played you left it in my house i never got it played <laughs> i nicked your rule book i you still never got it played but i did canvas the table afterwards all right right the mechanism itself, is it player count dependent? In that, from the feedback I'm getting, that I heard it was too long and tight with four, and it works better with three players. Well, I think the start for two, I think it's too easy with two players, because you're always, within reason, going to get what you need, unless someone goes really heavy for something. I have played it with four players, and I actually found it to be really interesting with four players, and for me at its best because there was enough resources to go around but when people two or three people needed something there was that choice to be made now do i go in with a one or a two i guarantee at least that one or two or but i really need four this turn is there another way for me to get those extra two that i need or do i gamble and go in with four what does everyone else need i think with three and definitely two 
it might be a bit easier to get stuff. Look at you wanting a tighter, meaner version. Yeah, of look game. at me. You're look, a different I'm all man. grown up. We're swapping. <laughs> I'm going into my dotage and going back to the easy games. Okay. Now, in terms of weighing up that relative value of how much do I commit here, is someone else likely to come in hard on this resource? My understanding is that quite a lot of the scoring is driven by the cards that you've collected and they're going to dictate that you score this for achieving this and that for achieving that. Would that be correct? Uh, eventually, in the, in the latter rounds... You Which is where most of the scoring comes from. Where your scoring cards come from. Yeah. So, given that that card scoring then drives a lot of the scoring at the end of the game, how easy is it to follow that this person is after that thing which is going to help them score that card because for me I kind of need to know that to then have an idea how hard they're likely to go into a certain action space by the end absolutely you know because I might have a card that says for every two of the energy cubes yeah. I'm going to get points so yeah. you know I'm going to go hard for and for it's energy. easy to follow what everyone's got Oh, I, absolutely okay. like the guys I had that card and the guys knew to deny me energy as much as the possible. The reason I'm pressing on that is because Rachel said it wasn't. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think it, it's a slightly more obscure earlier on because you don't know if somebody's just going to go for maybe a mission or the buildings. Now, the build, buildings take up um, the, the other resource in the game, which is minerals. So you're always going to have to have minerals if you're going for buildings. But then again... That becomes clear because if somebody makes a bid on a building, then you know that they're going to have to pay for that building if they want it. Mm-hmm. So therefore, I now know if I deny that person minerals, they're not going to be able to go for that building. There is the clarity there, maybe not always their end game until quite close to the end. Right. This is the one game of the 12 I haven't played. Sorry mm-hmm. for not making that clear for everyone. I tried to troll BGG comment section. I'm most disappointed I didn't find anything amusing in there. <laughs> but the one other thing I did see that came up a few times was about longevity and difference between plays and that players felt like they were playing the same game again and again. I can see that happening. Even after three or four plays under my belt, I've started to recognise buildings coming out already. And it could missions. be a good thing. Could be a good Or is thing. it dull in this one that you're like, oh, that way? Um, it hasn't, I haven't found it dull just yet. Yeah. I recognise, oh, that's a building I definitely want. That's a mission I'm definitely going to so go So you're on, sharking people. Oh, I'm sharking. <laughs> okay. But I think that it's all so clear and so open, and the iconography speaks for itself almost, that everyone, even new players, can see it immediately. Well, well that mission's going to give me two people. If you've played a round, you know that people become quite important to run your buildings, to go on those missions, to to bump them up, etc. Okay. Final thoughts on Artemis Project for you? It does hinge on that mechanism, and I really enjoy the mechanism. It can be brutal, with lots of frequent take that, but there are some interesting options. The theme, although it's present... It doesn't really carry through. So that's that's a slight problem for me. I think I did start seeing it as that mechanism more than the game itself. But it's not for everyone. Ronan hit the nail on the head. It's a Marmite game. I particularly like it. I'll be keeping it for a while. You we'll won't because I'm literally about well, to you're steal, gonna steal it, it. Yeah, right. out of your car <laughs> right now. So for me, the Artemis Project was, was a winner. Fantastic. Right. That's us done with our reviews. If you come back after this very short break, we're going to talk about three Kickstarter projects which are coming up or ongoing at the moment 
And we're going to each choose our one favourite recommendation of the six games we chose for this episode. So we'll see you again in a sec. Okay, so here we are back, and we're going to enter my world, Ronan. It's that Kickstarter. It's your world. You own it now. Do I you own it. it. I pretty right. much do. So all three of these you're going to back is what you're telling me before we oh, even go in there. Probably. Oh, I wouldn't. I'm not. Okay. <laughs> so we're going to talk about three Kickstarter projects. Now, the first one, I am a very lucky ducky. You are a lucky ducky, and I'm about to be a lucky ducky. You are, because you're going to get to play it. So... Lucky Duck Games. I didn't, actually didn't mean to say Lucky Ducky. No, I, didn't, I hadn't made the link in my head. I know, Egypt. Lucky Duck Games sent us Time of Ledger's Destinies. It's coming on Kickstarter in 24th September. And they sent us the first scenario in a box with a rule book, fully playable. It's an app-driven narrative story game. I've done four videos on it. And the reason I've done four videos on it is because... It's really, really good, Sean. It looks amazing, by the way. Just the... The review copy, which isn't final product by any stretch, looks like it could go on a shelf oh, uh, yeah, in, a, in a board game store. I mean, just in terms of PR from a games company to gobshite media like us, <laughs> that's the way to do it. So already that's impressive. But forget that. I hope that you trust our opinion enough to know that we'd tell you if something was rubbish or we, we wouldn't mention it. This first scenario, I've played it through three times. There's been three different stories. Mechanically really really incredibly simple uh, you, you have some stats you roll some dice you choose how many dice to add in you recover one dice a turn and you're following the reason it's called destiny is you're following your own destiny you have your own path to get to the end goal and it's a fantasy game it's set in the we're missing out loads of details here we're getting tired uh, it's set in the time of legends Joan of Arc mythic games thing you know Joan of Arc massive minis game that, that kickstarted for millions of dollars mm-hmm. and all that. Yep, it's yep. set in that setting so it's the real world in medieval times in France, high medieval times, but with myth and legend and angels and demons and stuff like that. And there's a virtue system within the game. And anyway, you've got your own destiny for each scenario that you're trying to fulfill your own path. And it's what I was trying to say that I'm rambling about. (laughs) Not cooperative, it's competitive, which is not like, you know, the Lord of the Rings, James in Middle Earth or or Descent or these other apps driven Mention of Madness. So that at least differentiates it. Absolutely. As you can tell, Ronan's quite excited by this one. I'm very excited about this one. I heard it teased a little while back and I thought, oh, that sounds really good. And then when Ronan was contacted by or contacted Lucky Duck and Mythic. They contacted us, actually. Okay. Yeah, okay. actually, okay. yeah. We're, we're, we're a big shot. I wasn't there. fishing. Well, you know, I think you you're the big fishing. shot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a lackey. <laughs> and when he mentioned that that was coming our way, I was beside myself. I, it was an insta, insta back already. and. Yeah about it this is why you waste so much money on kickstarter it's from two companies that i trust doing a game that's themed around something i'm really excited about with an app from a company who's already done a fantastic app in a game yeah, I mean, that was all very non-specific and probably quite hard to follow in audio format. So, but I follow. <laughs> Lucky you Duck. trust Lucky Duck, you trust Mythic, and you like the app in Chronicles of Chrome. I do, and I like the theming of Joan of Arc. Right. So there you're you going to back it? Yeah. Have a look at it, folks. Honestly, one of the most impressive... The last game I can remember where we got something like this, and I was near to being this impressed, was when we got that little Hessian sack from an unknown French company. Seventh Continent. Seventh Continent. It turned out to be Seventh Continent. When we got it, it was just a little stack of, like, about 100 cards. 
Uh, yeah, and th- at the time it was two French dudes who'd email us out of the blue and we were like, well, I don't know what this is, but, but you grabbed it at Essen, didn't you? So that was the last time I was just blown away by sort of a preview of a game and that ended up being Seventh Continent, which I'm still playing to today. So I, I have trust in this one. And Sean, it's probably, given that we just said we got a free copy and we're bigging it up, it's probably worth reiterating to everyone. We have never been paid by anyone for any content. We do get review copies on occasion, especially this time of year around Essen, especially Kickstarter preview games, which we get to have a look at and film sometimes. Yeah. But no money has ever changed and nor do we ever tend it ever to be no, we don't want to get in we're not in this business for monetary gain or to get a job with someone or no we're just doing it because we want to talk just something people. to do really <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we want to talk at people we got stuff to say it's not interesting to anyone but us but hold on so not paid for in any way and neither is any of our content ever and if it were to be paid for we would announce it but just honestly, this is genuine excitement having played that. That is a lot of fun. Now, Sean, you've got one from Pandasaurus. Yeah, Pandasaurus have just uh, released on Kickstarter, as we record, Godspeed, but designed by Clayton Hargrave and Adam Hill. And it was the theming that caught me on this one. It It's all surrounding that the moon landing was actually a front for a bigger exploration further afield where humanity has explored space in more depth and even found ancient alien relics it's a worker placement game the workers have a speciality and an influence value that changes up the, what they do and how they do it you are going to as a group decide on how to deal with an event and assign workers to deal with an event that happens you are going to have a bid in the middle of the game that is going to, you're going to bid on supplies that are sent back from these alien worlds and cargo and what have you sent from space with resources and machines in it. And then you go on to the action, the worker placement and the actions that you're going to do. So lots going on. Pandasaurus themselves, I thought, carried it off really well with Dinosaur Island. Oh, that is a controversial stance on Pandasaurus. I thought they did very well with Dinosaur Island. There's a lot happening in Dinosaur Island, but it's it's nicely streamlined and it's, but it's, it's intuitive. They're releasing games with rule books with like insert link here, still on the background. Okay, well I, I didn't bits I, of yeah, word I didn't documents see that. There, so. But this one is very very interesting. But to say about Pandasaurus, having looked at Godspeed here with you, like because you brought it up, mm-hmm. there's a lot of complaints about them not having paying attention to detail with their games. Okay, well, I haven't seen it. We've got, I've got two games from them. I've got Dulasaur Island and Dinosaur Island, and I've not had any problems with those. Yeah, I might. We might be about to log heads on this one. I don't. It's, it's I just feel a you feeling. Being excited. I'm, I'm moderately excited. I'm, I'm not saying I'm definitely going to back it. The theme seems really confused. It's, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make narrative sense, and. It's not the fact that it's saying the moon landing is fake or anything like that. It's, it's more that like the European Space Agency has won the player powers, which they're saying this is all happened in the 60s, didn't exist. And India is a space power, which it was just out of partition, 15 years out of partition at, in 62. And if you're going to sell it in a world, you need to do more world building 
than just throwing out this thing and saying, oh, and by the way, here's a bunch of random places that are, they all now have space programs. But we're trying to tie it into the real world where there were at the time only two space programs. And I know this might seem like nitpicking, but it seemed like a weird start to me of give me more give me more background to what's going on like tell me about how the world's changed by these discoveries which is why India evolved and why Japan just that World War 2 is now getting involved in the space race and what have you you know yeah I definitely want to find out a bit more about it because there is quotes and stories and snippets of things it's not really fleshing out the story yeah. yet so yeah definitely need to know and learn more about the story of the game. What are your thoughts on the artwork of Godspeed? I like it. I think uh, the board looks a little bit cluttery, maybe a bit cluttery, over, overly word. busy. Yeah. And but I think the artwork in itself it, it does evoke the the space race and what have you. Yeah, and then I looked at the mechanisms and. It didn't look great on that current either. I think we're spending too long. Time. <laughs> There's a lot played. to pull together, I think. I think the negotiation, the way it works is you all bid, and if you all bid, you all get the same thing. And if anyone doesn't bid, the people who didn't bid all get the same punishment. Okay. <laughs> so it's not even, you're not, you're not going, yeah, bidding, it seems yeah, a bit weird. Yeah. And then for the worker placement, you only do two actions Ooh. a turn, and there's 10 turns. Right. The designer's saying, this is worker placement reimagined. What, with 20 actions over a whole. I'm really not convinced by Godspeed. I'm I'm swerving this one. I'll wait for right, fair enough. We wanted to give all I wanted to, I'm sure you do as well. I want to just give a quick nod to Yido, one of Ronan's all time favourite games. It's in my top ten. Incredible, incredible game. Board and Dice are kickstarting it right now, again, as this has been recorded. And it's the deluxe version. If you've already got it, I don't know if there's enough there for you to say, okay, I'll scrap what I've got. I'm going to go and buy the deluxe version. If you haven't, it looks beautiful. And the it's been artwork. hard to get for a long time. It has been, yep, yep. They've revamped a couple of things. They've redone a few missions, possibly rebalanced it. And this is a quality gaming. It's a, it's a three-hour-long Euro which you can get messed around with. It's very interactive. It's very much people can block you out and you'll end up screaming to high heaven and having to take a five-minute break and coming back and then rejigging all your plans. <laughs> Just a brilliant, frustrating, amazing game with a bunch of Euro mechanisms that you know work together. So I would definitely lean towards Yido this month if you're going to back one Euro and definitely Time of Legends Destinies if you're going to back one thematic game. Very good. I think that's us. We need to say our top recommendation of the... Oh, of course we do, yes. So if you're six, Sean... So of my six, it was split between Dark Domains and Sierra West, but Sierra West just tips the balance because of just... It's it's new. The I haven't seen art. it before. Just because of the box art? And the box art. <laughs> Go look at the box art, people. It's beautiful. I'm, I'm not convinced. You're a weirdo. My... He tried to steal my one recommendation. He went to nick it from my list. It's Legacy of Dragonhold. <laughs> I did. I really, I'm really excited about that. I've always have been. I think it sounds amazing. I think he's desperate for me to finish. We've yeah. only got two days left of it out of eight. So we'll get on with we'll it. be done soon. We will be. We will be. It's a family thing we're doing. Uh, Legacy of Dragonhold. Very good. And we will be coming up soon with the rest of our best of 2018. Apparently. The, the second half. The last half. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not talk about it. And then we're going to be cracking into some Essen previews. Treasure hunts. Yes, our Essen treasure hunts. And we might be on sporadically board soon. We might be. Depends. Depends if we can be if, bothered. If we, <laughs> <laughs> anyway. 
Okay, so yeah, thank you, Ronan. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, everyone. And we are very proud members of the Dice Tower Network. Go there and to the Dice Tower for gaming goodness galore. If you should download the episodes, we're on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, and Podbean. <laughs> If you wish to find us on social media, we have a Facebook page. We are on Instagram and we are on Twitter at GamePid Podcast. If you wish to contact us, we have an email address, which is thegamepitpodcast at gmail.com. And we're also on Board Game Geek in the Guild section, so pop along there uh, for a chat and what have you. And thank you very much for listening. Music by E. Aaron. Bye 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 b